This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. If you were in your late teens or early 20s, there's a fairly good chance that instead of following major movie or athletic stars, you actually follow gamers. Some of the biggest personalities right now are gamers, whether it's streamers like Carl Jacobs or Dream, or popular esports players like Notale. In fact, if we focus on esports, around 440 million people are watching esports every year. So for teenagers leaving school and moving on to college, becoming an esports player could be a viable career choice. In the same way that many kids might want to become a professional tennis player or a pro football player. And if you make it, there's huge money on the table. So today on the show, I want to share with you a story from one of our other podcasts. It's called Gameplay and explores video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. This particular story is produced by James Parkinson and James explored the world of college esports where it turns out millions in scholarships are handed out every year to encourage the very best gamers to come and study at a university. Now, this is a slightly longer episode than you're used to, but I promise you it's worth the listen. I have to admit, I don't know much about esports. I've never really been a competitive person and I'm certainly not the most skilled player. But if I was a slightly younger version of myself with some talent for a particular game, I would absolutely try to get the most out of it. While the high end of professional esports with millions of dollars in prize money is beyond most people, being really good at games still offers some advantages, like a college scholarship. I wasn't really intending on getting into esports or anything, but uh, I really liked the game. I played it a lot. I ended up getting a high rank and stuff, and I heard about high school tournaments. So then I started joining high school tournaments, and then from there I started an esports club in my high school. And doing that, I found out about collegiate esports. This is Victoria Wynn, who loved playing Overwatch and realized she was pretty good at it. I play on the UCI Overwatch team as their main support, and I'm majoring in computer game science at UCI. Collegiate esports has grown significantly across the United States since 2014. UCI, the University of California, Irvine, is just one of over 100 universities to offer an esports program. Some schools are beginning to provide full scholarships to join their esports teams, but even partial scholarships, which are more common, can still go a long way in helping people pursue a degree. And there are lots of other benefits that esports can bring to a student's time at college. I feel like being on the esports team has actually like really helped me balance college stuff, um, which would seem kind of strange because it's obviously more on my plate, but I guess like having it there on the plate makes it so I'm forced to actually get my stuff together, get everything organized so that I make sure I'm able to balance, you know, all the homework and projects on top of playing esports. Revenue for the global esports industry is expected to surpass $1 billion in 2021. But esports still faces many challenges, especially at the collegiate level. I'm James Parkinson from Lawson Media. This is Gameplay. 
stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. Competitive gaming tournaments have been around for about as long as video games themselves. The 2000s saw professional esports begin to emerge, which has matured into the global industry we have today. It was only a matter of time before esports made its way into universities, and now colleges across the United States are embracing esports. Our program, uh, we we say we launched it on September 23rd, 2016, so we are uh, about a month away from celebrating our five-year anniversary. Um, And then we spent probably the 15 months before we officially launched kind of in vision creation, ideation, and putting the whole plan together. So the the planning started in the summer of 2015, and then we opened our arena and had athletes on campus fall of 2016. This is Mark Deppie. And I'm the director for esports at the University of California in Irvine. UC Irvine is a large public institution uh, in Orange County of Southern California. Um, We're part of the University of California system, same with uh, Berkeley and UCLA, other schools you probably have heard of. Our university is about 55 years old, so we're very young for a a university, but uh, in that short time, we've become a really prestigious research university. Um, I think last ranking I saw, we were number seven in terms of public universities in the country, so... UCI is very highly regarded, and uh, we have about uh, 30,000 students. And so, yeah, we're getting up there in size and prestige. College esports programs have been established pretty rapidly over the last six or seven years, as more schools have jumped on board. But for early adopters like UCI, it was a whole process to even get their program approved. There's a lot that goes into uh, building support for something like our program. I will say education is the first piece, just letting people know what esports are, what the ecosystem looks like, and then finding supporters on your campus. Uh, I will say UCI is a young school. I like to say we're not burdened by tradition like other older universities. And so I think we have this belief that our our culture is still being shaped and we're able to kind of still do new things. Um, and so our, our campus has a, I'd say a tolerance for trying new things and new ideas. Uh, and when we started our esports program, it was a very new idea. Nobody uh, knew what esports were. They didn't know how to spell it. And so education was the first part. And then, yeah, building consensus around should we do it, finding compelling evidence. So we did surveys, both of students I guess I guess we surveyed the student body. Uh, we looked for resources. We needed space for a facility. Uh, we needed money for scholarships and salaries. And so um, as we did some exploration, we were building a business plan. And uh, I would say within six months of the first whispered ideas uh, in summer of 2015, uh, we had a business plan. We had a large sponsorship offer uh, on a piece of paper. And um, we were able to bring that to university leaders, and they they blessed our idea to kind of pilot an esports program. And uh, we spent the next uh, nine months building it, recruiting students, and creating what we've created. How does that compare to other colleges in the country, and you know where esports are at at the college level in general across uh, the states? You know, uh, universities look at esports very differently depending on your location and the status of your university. 
UCI, as I mentioned, is a, I'd say, highly successful university. We have well over 100,000 applications every fall. So esports for us represent, in my opinion, an opportunity for us to distinguish ourselves from other elite peer universities. It's a chance to be special, to be new, to be a school of first choice. Most schools doing esports, uh, I put into this category of small, private, liberal arts universities, mostly uh, in the Midwest. And many of those universities are in a very different situation. Uh, they've seen declining enrollment for many years. And a lot of their programs and directors uh, are challenged with recruiting dozens of students to come to their university on an esports scholarship. And so they might get a two or $4,000 scholarship, uh, but expected to pay the rest of the $30,000, $40,000 cost of attendance. And uh, given declining enrollment, uh, those are students the school would not otherwise get. And so there's a business calculation for, for those universities. So most, I'd say the vast majority of schools in the U.S. doing esports fall into that broad bucket. Um, but there are some schools that are doing it to expand the reputation of the university, to do new things, to support students' interests, and kind of be the future of competition. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of how UCI falls in. So we're the far end of the spectrum that's really focused on uh, doing something unique and also, I would say there's a high focus on student retention and support and graduating our students and, and kind of living up to the expectations of any student at UCI. High school programs are also very new. So unlike many traditional sports, there aren't the same kind of pathways into college for esports players. But collegiate programs are providing new opportunities for people who may not be eligible for athletic or academic scholarships. Here's Victoria. I didn't really like play sports or anything. I'm not like a sports person, but I ended up like really enjoying playing esports, and that was something I could do without having to do a lot of physical activity. You know, that's not really my whole thing. So, for it, it's different from like college to college, obviously. But for us at UCI, um, it starts off with an application, which is just general things like what your ranking is, and if you've ever played on t- other teams before, which, what's your competitive experience in Overwatch. And then if it looks like you're, you have the good qualifications, like your rank's high enough, um, then you go into the tryouts. And that's like a couple of days playing with the other people who are trying out, um, just mixing the teams up and the coaches look to see like who's performing well and who they might want on the team. And if you pass that, then you have an interview where they just, you know, get to see what you're like as a person and see if you'd be a good fit from the team. And then from there, you know if you're on the team or not. We do have some people who aspire to play professionally. I will say we've probably had two or three times as many people who have come from professional esports. Um, but I would say something that makes us unique and something we've had to learn is that uh, our, our best candidates for our scholarships are students who want to earn a degree. They already see a value in, in coming to a university. Uh, maybe their parents are very excited to send them to university. Maybe they've already tried professional esports and they're like, how do I reinsert myself into like a career track um, that I want to be on? For us, every every student that's been on our scholarship um, has graduated or can can come back and finish their degree at any moment. So you have to want to be a college student, and if you don't, we're, our program's not a good fit for you. Um, there are schools that kind of look at 
esports athletes as I guess a more of a commodity and they might, they might recruit you. You might play for a season, might be there for six months and then you might leave. And we've never seen that at our program. We've never had anyone leave for another university. Um, we really want to support our athletes, help them earn their degree and help them achieve whatever they want to afterwards. I would say a large portion of our, our athletes haven't played a lot of other sports. We certainly have had some that have played water polo and soccer and football and track um, but I'd say most of them haven't played traditional sports. And when you look at high schools and youth sports, um, it really does kind of require a certain amount of drive and athleticism and coordination. Um, and that just doesn't necessarily fit with everybody. And I think esports opens the door to a different group of people who still want to compete and be on a team and earn those life skills. Um, and now you can, yeah, get a full or partial scholarship that will supplement your education. Um, and we're actually able to factor in esports into the admissions process. And so it might even get you into a school that you might not have been able to, uh, enroll in before. So, um, I think esports represents, uh, how we're going to compete in the long term future. I'd say most professional jobs are not throwing a javelin or, or shooting a ball or swinging a bat. Um, it's really about cognitive performance. It's about creativity. It's about teamwork, about quick decision making. And those are all the skills that you need to be a successful esports athlete. So I really think we're training and really selecting for the most important skills that they will use in the rest of their lives. UCI's program currently offers two games, League of Legends and Overwatch. So Overwatch is 6v6. It's an FPS and you're fighting over control of an objective, whether that's just like a point that's stationary or a cart that's moving and you're trying to defend or attack the cart. So those are the game modes. And then there are three roles in the game, which is tank, DPS, and support. And when you're playing in like a team and it's not just like, you know, the ranked stuff, those roles get further split. So tank gets split into main tanks and off tanks, and supports get split into main supports and flex supports. Yeah, so tanks are there to create space for the team, to help them push forward, and then DPS are there to, you know, get kills, and supports are there to support the rest of their team so they can do those things well. Welcome to all that have been waiting for this climactic moment. It's day two of the Overwatch Collegiate Championships playoffs. And let's take a look at how we've arrived at this three matchups today. It will be, as you can see, the top four that are here. It will be Northwood University versus Harrisburg to start. UC Irvine versus Maryville. And then the winner go on to that grand finals matchup, working their way through so many and some of the... Esports are a serious business, and even at the college level, athletes take a very professional approach to their role in the team. It's not just about practice and teamwork. Their mental and physical well-being are a priority too. I think people don't realize how much actually goes into being on an esports team. It's kind of easy to think like, oh, I'm just playing video games all the time and I just need to play video games forever and then I'm going to be good and that's what it's like to play on a team. But it's it's not really like that and playing solo queue on your own is very, very different from playing in a team environment. 
because I've never played like traditional sports, I kind of like want that teamwork aspect of it, being able to compete with other people and supporting each other that way. Um, it's cool to get coaching in a video game um, and being able to improve and focus on that. And then there's also the other things that maybe I didn't realize would be so beneficial, like having someone to help me get exercises done and learn how to do that and getting better nutrition and all that stuff, which you don't really think about when you're joining an esports team, but have all been really helpful and beneficial outside of the game itself. We have an exercise physiologist on our team, um, and when we were in person, we had like weekly workouts. So we would go to the gym and work out together as a team, and we would also get like instructions on how we can improve our diet and improve our sleeping patterns as well. So normally our practices were in the evenings, um, so we would have classes and then we'd have our scrims in the evenings and it kind of depends how often we practice. If it's like finals week or something, then we're, we're not practicing as much and sometimes we're not practicing at all because it's academics first. I mean, we're going to college, right? So that comes first. But if, if it's just kind of like a normal week, then we might practice like every day. And then we'd have our tournaments, matches on the weekends, one or two matches a week, depending on how the schedule is going. Despite all of this, esports players aren't considered athletes within the broader college system which means they miss out on some of the benefits afforded to traditional sports. That's next on Gameplay. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For the Defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. On the 30th of April 2019, the NCAA declined to bring esports under its regulation. As a governing body, the National Collegiate Athletic Association oversees student-athletes and their respective programs and competitions. But this decision left the governance of esports to universities and the National Association of Collegiate Esports. The NCAA's reasoning for the rejection included concerns over violent content in certain video games and that if esports were classified as athletics, it would require compliance with Title IX regulations. Here's Mark Deppie. 
Yeah, so Title IX is part of the education code passed a few decades ago. Um, and everything in, in, in higher ed is illegal to discriminate based on any protected category, gender certainly being one of them. But Title IX went a step further and, and required uh, people that receive uh, federal funds for schools, which is pretty much every university because uh, every, every university is processing uh, financial aid federal financial aid and essentially says you have to create equal opportunities uh, and re- put enough uh, and equal resources into both uh, men's and women's uh, sports. Um, and so, so sports have a higher bar to meet for equity than other activities on a campus. Um, and so you'll see that athletic programs across the country have the same number of scholarships or very close. Uh, it has to be in proportion, I think, to the student body at that university. And so if you have a football team with 60 men on it, you have to have several teams that are all in to kind of balance that out. Esports as of now has not been uh, identified by the Department of Education or really any federal group as part of sports. Uh, Cheerleading is not part of sports. Uh, Some universities have tried to make cheerleading count as part of sports because it's predominantly female. And therefore, if you give them resources, you can offset that with, with male scholarships. So so uh, at this time, we are, we are broadly uh, affected by Title IX in that we cannot discriminate based on gender, um, but we are not at this elevated bar that athletics is under that says we have to create equal resources and opportunities for women. And they kind of have to go hand in hand because I am not actually allowed to have scholarships for purely women. Um, because that would be discriminating based on gender. So you have to have both of those go together. You have to uh, require equity at the same time you remove the barrier that prevents you from selecting uh, based on it because, yeah, it would be illegal otherwise. As of March 2021, around 90% of collegiate esports players were men, which would cause some problems for the NCAA in adhering to Title IX rules. The gender imbalance isn't exclusive to collegiate esports either. Women are also underrepresented at the professional level. This is despite the fact that 41% of people who play games in the United States are women. That number in Australia, by the way, is about 47%. Yeah, I would say the vast majority of esports athletes, is, if you take a quick look, are, are certainly male. Um, and that's been our experience with our program. I think it also uh, skews a lot of Asian American and white men. Obviously, um, those are the the players you'll see on our teams. We we certainly aspire to attract a more diverse player base, but there's just a lot of barriers uh, out there for uh, women and I guess underrepresented folks. At UCI, Victoria Wynn is currently the only woman in their esports program, and there's several reasons why that disparity exists across all of esports. I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's like women who are just getting into games now and they don't have like the experience other people might where they've been playing games since like childhood. And then there's once you start playing the game, then you end up, you know, facing harassment from other people who are sexist and being mean to you. And that's like levels of toxicity that other people aren't receiving. You you do get it when you play by yourself in solo queue and ranked, and it's kind of difficult because there's not really any good options for you. Like, once that happens, you kind of just mute rapport and hope 
hopefully move on from it. It's not like you can say anything bad to them. It kind of just makes the situation worse, or at least in my experience it has. There's like trying to find teams, and it's harder to find teams as a woman when everyone else is not, you know? There's like the additional anxiety that you're going to get because, um, well, when there's so few women playing at the highest levels and being role models and competing, then you're going to feel more anxious um, when you're playing. And obviously that's going to make you perform worse because you might feel like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you to perform well because you might feel like you're representing all women everywhere, um, which isn't something that um, male players would feel. I do believe men and women can compete on an evil playing field with equal opportunity, equal encouragement. I think there's a little bit of data to already support that. Um, and that's what we aspire to. That's what we want. But there's two big, hairy challenges of improving online behavior, which has always been an issue. And then also, how do we generate more interest? And how do we get really amazing cognitive performing women and non-binary folks to be interested in games and encourage them to play? So those are the two big factors. How do we solve that? Um, I, I think instead of waiting for the pipeline to emerge, I would like to see more of a Title IX-like approach where we're, where we're already creating opportunities for uh, other folks that we want to include in the esports world. So uh, women's only tournaments, girls only tournaments, uh, girls only spaces. Um, I think that would be great to create role models. It would be great for young people to know that there's a space waiting for them. There's a team that they can play on, they'll feel safe in. The the challenge to that one it's not legal right now two the other challenge is women want to play a lot of people want to play and they want to compete with the best and so there's a, a belief in this meritocracy in esports that you just want to play with the best of the best and the best should win and if you created women's only teams uh you'd be creating this two-tiered system where very similar to traditional athletics where women's esports are just viewed in a lower prestigious level than than men's esports or open esports essentially. So that's one of the major reasons we haven't done it. And I'll also say, finally, we've asked women about participating. We've had some really highly ranked people at UCI. I've had conversations with when we were building our program and they didn't want a women's only team. Um, so it's, it's a very complex issue. Um, my thoughts have evolved, but right now I would like to see us create opportunities uh, for women to exist, um, to see themselves reflected at, at high levels on scholarship teams. Um, and so that would require uh, some sort of legislation to, to empower that. There are some women's only competitions in professional esports, but they're not the end goal. Yeah, I think right now people are looking at women's teams and seeing them as kind of like a stepping stone to um, more equal teams. Like, I'm going to compare this to a different game. Like we're we're seeing like Valorant having a lot of women's only tournaments, and I think those are are good for women who want to compete, but it's not like the end result that we want, obviously. Like the goal isn't to have men's tournaments and women's tournaments, but hopefully these women's tournaments will help more women want to compete, feel comfortable competing, get them started on something so that they enter these women's teams, they do good there, and then they enter the open tournaments, and then they can start building on from there. There is one advantage, though, that college esports has over athletic programs. 
Because esports isn't designated as athletics, players are allowed to earn money. This has been a long-term struggle for sports under the NCAA, which classifies student-athletes as amateurs, not professionals. That classification remains in place, but after years of people calling for the rules to change, the NCAA did just that in 2021. Now, student-athletes are allowed to profit off their name, image and likeness. Esports athletes are already afforded this right, but unlike those other sports, they can also earn prize money. When we do win tournaments or prizing, our, our athletes do get to keep all of that, um, assuming the prizing is intended for students. There's a couple tournaments here and there that want to give the university money for winning, um, but those are more the exception than the standard. So uh, our athletes are often winning uh, several thousand dollars more on top of their scholarship. So I've been always very proud that uh, our athletes can profit off their own success and intelligence and skill. I do think we need to put a little thought into how do we put some safe guide rails around it. One, uh, I will say we have we have not had any of our athletes get approached by a brand to represent them, but that could happen. And I wouldn't have an issue with it unless that brand conflicted with one of our, our existing sponsorship relationships and making sure the athlete knew that while they're competing on our scholarship for our team, that they're representing the people that we represent. So uh, it hasn't been an issue yet. I don't see it being an issue in the near future. But um, for now, uh, just kind of having it be open is, is a fine place to be. Collegiate programs will continue to play an important role in the growth and maturity of esports. But if esports are going to rival those more traditional athletic programs, there's still some way to go. I think for esports to be bigger and more well-regarded, I think more large universities um, need to invest into it. And I think that's a challenge because they're already heavily invested into traditional athletics. And I really think they play a very similar role for the university in terms of uh, community engagement, alumni engagement, school spirit. And so I think there's going to be a little bit of a struggle for some of the schools who are burdened by tradition, who have a hundred year legacy in football or all this investment into other sports for them to pivot um, into what I believe is, like I said, the future of competition. Um, so I think a lot of that has to happen. Um, the other thing that will move them along is is for media rights companies to start making investment and brands and sponsors to start investing in esports. If they see people watching it, uh, the money will follow. And then I think university interest will certainly follow if their new TV media rights deal needs to have esports in it and esports has to hit certain metrics. Um, I think that will change the ball game. And I think that's on track. That's going to happen. Um, we, we see pro esports teams not yet making uh, the same kind of per view dollar that uh, other sports are making. And so um, brands are starting to shift and realize that esports is a really good investment for for marketing dollar uh, value. And so uh, I think all our programs need to kind of be reevaluated uh, as times and interest in uh, things change. So that's what I think. Victoria says she'd like to see the games industry do more to support the collegiate scene. And while dreams of going professional in esports are nice to think about, right now she's just happy to be part of the Overwatch team at UCI and remains focused on getting through college. I'm really glad that I got into esports. Just from like 
the friends alone that I've made through esports. Um, I really appreciate it. There's like lots of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Some of my best friends are from, you know, playing on teams in high school and things like that. I think it's really cool to kind of be on the forefront of this where it's kind of new and be being able to be a role model for other people is very cool. It's helped me, you know, like organize my life in college. Um, I exercise a lot more than I would have had I not been in esports. Yeah, there's a lot of good things that came out of it. Many thanks to Victoria Wynn and Mark Deppie. If you'd like to learn more about the esports program at UCI, just head to esports.uci.edu. We also have links to further reading on this episode's page on our website, gameplay.co. Also making news today, Reuters is reporting that Meta will temporarily allow users of Facebook and Instagram in some Eastern European countries to post calls for violence in relation to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Usually these sorts of posts would fall under hate speech and would violate the terms of use. However, Meta wants to allow political expression, given many people in those regions will be actively discussing the invasion. The posts, however, cannot be specific and they cannot have multiple indicators of credibility. Niantic, the gaming giant behind the popular Pokemon Go game, is acquiring 8th Wall, a company that enables augmented reality experiences to be run in a browser. 8th Wall developed a platform called WebAR, which can be used to create augmented reality experiences that don't require an app. Users scan a QR code and they're taken to the experience in their internet browser. The terms of the deal were not disclosed, but in a blog post on the Niantic website, the company says 8th Wall's web AR platform will sit within Niantic's Lightship team. Lightship is Niantic's platform for allowing developers to create augmented reality experiences. And EV startup Rivian is warning that its production capacity could be reduced by half to 25,000 vehicles for 2022. So far this year, the company has produced just 1,410 vehicles and is aiming to ramp up production over the year. However, like many manufacturers, Rivian is struggling with supply chain issues. The announcement was seen as disappointing for investors, given the company painted a very different picture back in November during their IPO. Recently, Rivian has come under fire for increasing the pricing of their vehicles to try and counteract rising costs in the supply chain. However, it now says it has 83,000 pre-orders of the R1T and R1S. Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. Our story from Gameplay was produced by James Parkinson. If you want to listen to more stories about the video game industry, then I encourage you to check out Gameplay. Just head across to gameplay.co. 
And to catch up on previous episodes of The Defrag, you can head across to our website, thedefrag.com. That's all the news I have for this week, and it's actually a public holiday where I live in Melbourne, Australia on Monday, so we'll be back with more news on Tuesday.